Amen. All right, have I got this turned on, brother? Okay. I, uh, my favorite introduction I ever got was I was in a meeting and the preacher looked over at me and he went, like that. And that's my favorite one because it's easy to live up to. Amen. Folks say so many things sometimes when you're getting up. I wonder who they're talking about. But uh, it is good to be here. And I know you're disappointed that the family's not here, but you're not as disappointed as I am. So uh, they've, I've had to, uh, my father-in-law went home to be with the Lord about a month ago. And a little while before he did, my mother-in-law fell and broke her hip. And uh, she's back up and uh, and is getting around, but she just has to have somebody stay with her. And so there's three daughters, and uh, one of them works two jobs, and the other one is in poor health, and then the third one is my wife. And so they're taking turns taking care of her. So she's home uh, taking care of Nana this week. And, uh, you know, I was supposed to text her. Are, are, are you live streaming this? Okay, I didn't, I didn't think maybe you were, so. Okay, <laughs> well. She wanted me to text. They were going to watch because Grandma, <coughs> excuse me, can't get out and uh, get to church this morning. So, but anyway, and I'll I'll just tell you this: I had I had the dreaded disease a while back, back in November, and I still have a cough. I haven't quite gotten rid of. So, if I cough a little bit, um, just take that into account. All right, we're going to be in Genesis 22, and I do want to say to you, after all those things, what a blessing it is to be here. And uh, I, lo- I love your pastor and his family. And uh, even if he talks bad about me, I love him anyway. And, uh, uh, but thank you for allowing me to be here this week. Genesis chapter 22. And uh, I guess maybe, I don't know, sometimes I say a familiar passage, uh, maybe a famous passage, a passage been preached on and studied. And uh, it's a wonderful passage like all of them are. I remember Dr. Larry Brown from Augusta, Georgia, got up one time and he said, turn in your Bible. And then he said, oh, just turn anywhere. It's all good. And it is all good. But I'm interested in one verse and we'll look at a few verses around it. So let me read just a little bit in Genesis 22. Verse 1, the Bible said, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. Here's our text verse. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. I'm interested in this second verse. Let me read it again and remind you of the punctuation. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, have a semicolon there, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, I want us to consider this question. What did the Lord want from Abraham? Now, Father, I pray you'll help us this morning as we look in the Word of God. We are greatly in need of you. Lord, we need your help. But most of all, Lord, we want you to be glorified, lifted up and magnified. We want men's attention to be drawn unto you. And Lord, if you get glorified, 
then we'll get help. So help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Abraham has been waiting for a son. God promised him a son back in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham had delivered Lot and those that had been taken captive. And the king of Sodom had tried to give Abraham a reward. It was Abram then was his name. And Abram said, uh, I've lift up my hand under the Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. He said, I'll not take anything from you. And he gave some reasons for that. And after he turned down what the world offered him, God came by. And God said, uh, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thine exceeding great reward. And Abram said, What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And mine heir is, one born in mine house is mine heir. And God said, This shall not be thine heir, but one that cometh forth from thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he took him out and he showed him the stars of the heaven. He said, If a man could number the stars of the heaven, so shall thy seed be. And the Bible said this, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was counted in him for righteousness. Paul mentions it in the New Testament. He said in Romans chapter 4, What shall we say then that Abraham our father has pertained to the flesh and found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. But what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? He believed what God said about a promised son. And when he believed that, God counted him righteous. That's the same way I get righteous and the same way you get righteous. We believe what God said about a promised son, the Lord Jesus. So Abraham's been waiting for this son. He waits about 25 years. God gives him a boy by the name of Isaac. I don't know how old Isaac is in this passage. I think he is somewhere in his 30s. But he's, God comes to Abram, and this is Abram's son, and God says, I want you to take him up to the mountain and offer him as a burnt offering. I was in a meeting back in January, and there was a preacher up, and he was preaching from this passage. And as he preached from this passage, I was reminded of the way that God asked for Isaac. It's interesting to me that God will call him or say three things about him in this passage. God could have just said, I want your son. I want your boy. But he didn't say it that way. He said, take now thy son. Then he said, thine only son Isaac. Then he said, whom thou lovest. I'm interested in those three things. Because if I can learn what God wanted from Abraham... I might get an idea what God expects from me. What did God want from Abraham? Well, I want you to notice the variations in the demand. Take now, here's the first one, take now thy son. I'd like to say to you this morning that God wanted what Abraham had. Abraham's possession, his son, God wanted that from Abraham. Do you understand this morning? God, You say, preacher, what does God want from me if I'm a Christian? If I'm saved, what does He want? He wants what you have. He wants everything you have. He wants your possessions. You say, preacher, why would I give God my possessions? Well, I'll, I'll tell you about it in a moment. But I could just say this. Paul said, what know ye not? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. But you have of God, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Wherefore, glorify God in your body 
and in your spirit, which are God. So if God bought me, then everything I have belongs to Him. Job said this. He said, The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. James said it this way. He said, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Uh, The Old Testament writer said it this way. It is God in Deuteronomy. It is God that giveth thee the power to get wealth. So the truth is everything I have came from Him anyway. So it's His. I'm just a steward of it. He wants what we have. Not only does He want what we have, I'll say this to you. Uh, I I thought I was thinking about uh, a young lady. I was preaching up in Michigan, I don't know, several years ago. And I don't remember what I was preaching about. But somewhere in the message, I made this statement. It wasn't, I didn't intend to make it. I didn't have it in my notes. I hadn't thought about it beforehand. But somewhere in the message, I said this. I said, some folks, some people have things in their home that are covered with dust that they never do anything with. And God could use them. I don't, I didn't know why I said it. I just said it. So after the service, this lady come up. She's crying. She said to me, preacher, do you know what I have in my house covered with dust that I never use? I said, no, what do you have? She said, I have a hammer dulcimer. If you know what that is, a hammer dulcimer. Uh, well, she said, uh, could you use it? I didn't have any use for it. I, I wasn't going to. I don't know how to play hammer dulcimer. I reckon I could probably learn, but I didn't want to carry the thing around. But what she didn't know was a few weeks or months, I don't remember which, before she said that, a missionary had said to me, Brother McBride, I'm going to Japan, and I would like to have a hammer dulcimer because I can make music that sounds similar to the music that they're familiar with over there. And if I had a hammer dulcimer, I could play it on the street and gather folks around and uh, I, I've never had a hammer dulcimer, never, I don't know that he'd never even seen one uh, up close. I'd seen pictures. So she gave me that dulcimer. She said, can you use it? I said, no, but I know somebody who can. And so I took it and I gave it to that missionary. And then he Skyped with me. Uh, for you that Skype on the, on the internet, he Skyped with me and he showed him. He's out there on the streets in Japan playing that hammer dulcimer and gathering people around. And then when he gets them gathered around, he preaches the gospel to them. You know what I thought? I thought that lady will never go to Japan. She'll never be involved as far as physically in that ministry. But her fingerprints are on every one of them souls that get saved over there. God wants what you have. God not only wants what you have, but notice the second thing he said. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Now this is an interesting phrase because Isaac was not Abraham's only son. He had another son named Ishmael. Ishmael is styled in our Bible as the child after the flesh. He's a picture of the works of the flesh. He was a product of Abraham's union with his handmaid Hagar, his wife's handmaid. It came because Sarah was unwilling to wait on God. I'll just remind you of this. Uh, it was not Abraham's idea. It was Sarah's idea. And the Bible said he hearkened unto the voice of his wife. The Bible tells me in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham was fully persuaded. He said he considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness 
of Sarah's womb, but he was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised. But he hearkened to the voice of his wife. He went into the maid, and this son Ishmael was born. The Bible said he was a wild man, his hand against every man. He was a man that could not be tamed. And Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that he is the child after the flesh. But God gave him a son. That son is Isaac. Now, why did God put it this way? Why did he emphasize thine only son and then name him Isaac? Here's why. Because all the dreams and all the hopes that Abraham had were centered in this boy Isaac. All of Abraham's future and the future of his descendants were centered in this boy. So God was saying to Abraham, I not only want what you have, I want what you hope. You know what God wants? He wants not only your possessions. He wants your plans. He wants your dreams. He wants your ambitions. You say, well, this is what I'd like to do. Why don't you take that and let God sanctify it? You know, when I was a boy, now this is going to be hard for you to believe. But when I was a boy, I had long hair. I know it's difficult to believe. I had long hair down to my shoulders. I had big old bushy red hair. I looked like a red-headed Bigfoot. And I had an electric guitar. When I was eight years old, my mom and dad bought me an acoustic guitar. It was an airline. They got it out of the Montgomery Wards catalog. So I got it when I was eight. The first thing I did was start tuning, turning them tuners. I didn't know what I was doing and I broke four out of the six strings off it within the first week that I had. My dad was so upset that he wouldn't even buy me any new ones. So it was two years before I got new strings on that guitar. So when I was ten, I started playing that guitar. Now, I tried to play it when I was eight, but all I could do was play those two strings. So I had to wait till I was ten to get the rest of it. And so, I, by the way, I'm 64 and I still have that guitar. But, after I had that, that airline guitar, I got me an old noble electric guitar. Then I bought me a Gibson Les Paul Jr. and I started playing rock and roll music. And I'd get down in the basement and I'd crank the stereo up. Some of you won't know who I'm talking about, but fellas like ZZ Top and, and, uh, some of them fellas like that. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, Ted Nugent, fellas like that. And I'd get down to the basement, I'd crank that stereo just as loud as you could crank it. I'd play the electric guitar, the telephone, back when you used to have a regular telephone that rang. It was just in the next room. If it rang, I could not hear it. I had that thing so loud. It's a wonder I haven't gone deaf, drove my parents crazy. And here's what my dream was, preacher. My dream was to grow up playing rock and roll music, become a rock and roll star, and stand in front of people every night and and play rock and roll music. That was my dream. But you know what happened? I got born again. I got saved. And when I got saved, I gave up rock and roll music. I hope you did. You should have if you didn't. I gave it up. Started playing gospel music. Now, I won't do it this week because my family's not with me. But you know what I do just about every night of my life? I get up in front of people and play gospel music. You know what God did? He sanctified my dream. 
He changed it. So now I get to do what I dreamed about doing without any hangovers, without any heartaches, without going down to a bunch of hell holes. Are you listening now? God sanctified. You know what you ought to do today? You ought to take all your dreams and all your ambitions and all your hopes and just give them to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I want you to have my dream. I don't have any more dreams of my own, Lord. I want them to be your dreams. Sanctify them. God will, God will fulfill your dreams with all the heartache that goes along, without all the heartache that goes along. So he wanted what Abraham had. He wanted what Abraham hoped for. But notice the third thing he says. Take now thy son, comma, thine only son Isaac, comma, whom thou lovest. He wanted what Abraham had. He wanted what Abraham hoped for. And thirdly, he wanted what had Abraham's heart. Abraham's passion. Abraham loves this boy. How do you know? God just said so. Whom thou lovest. God said to Abraham, I want what is dearest to your heart. Can I ask you a question this morning? What is it you love? What is it you're passionate about? What has your heart? It might be a good thing or it might be a wicked and an ungodly thing that has a hold of your heart. You know what God wants you to do with it? He wants you to give it to Him. He wants you to bring it to an old-fashioned altar and lay it down and say, Lord, here's where my heart is wrapped up. Here's what my heart is bound up in. Here's what has a hold of my heart and a grip on my heart. And I want to give it to you. You know, I don't know. Maybe fear has gripped your heart. Maybe maybe some perversion has gripped your heart. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but something in all of our lives, there's something that we are so passionate about that has a hold of our heart. And God said, I want that. He said to Abraham, give me that which you love. Abraham had prayed for this boy, pleaded for this boy. He'd been patient for this boy. He had waited for God to send this boy. And now that he has this boy and he loves this boy, God says, I want what has your heart. God wants what has your heart. Now you might say to me, preacher, if I were to give God what I have, and if I were to give God this morning what I hope for, my tomorrows, my plans, And if I were to give God what has my heart, what would He do with it? What would be the result? Well, that's what I want to show you. I want you to see what God did with what Abraham gave him. Because Abraham did give him exactly what he asked for. Now, here's what he did. The first thing he did, he took what Abraham had and he gave Abraham back a revelation of what God was going to do for Abraham and for the world. Now here's what Jesus said in the New Testament. In John 8 verse 56, Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So my question is, when did Abraham see Jesus' day? Then the Bible said this in Galatians. In Galatians, Paul said the Scripture foreseen that God would justify the heathen by faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. So my question is, when was the gospel preached to Abraham? When did he get a view of the gospel? Well, if we would read on in chapter number 22, the Bible said in verse number 14, would you look at it? And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord 
it shall be seen. What did Abraham see? Well, Abraham took that boy. God said, take now thy son, his possession. He took that boy, took him up on the, on the hill, laid him down on the altar. He's got the wood. He's got the knife raised in his hand. But what he didn't know is, while he is coming up this side of the mountain with Isaac in tow, there was a ram coming up the other side of the mountain. God had nudged that old ram and said, get up the mountain there, ram. And so they meet up here. And Abraham's got the knife raised to take, to take Isaac's life. And the angel of the Lord stops him. And he turns and looks and there's a ram. I wish I had time to preach on this. But he's caught by his horns in the thicket. If he'd have been caught by anything else, he'd have been unfit for a sacrifice. But God even had that straightened out and taken care of. And so he took the ram and offered him in the stead of Isaac. You know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I were sentenced to die because of our wickedness and our ungodliness. But the Lamb of God came. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And Jesus substituted Himself for me on the cross of Calvary and took the brunt of the judgment of God paid with His own blood for all of my sin. That's what God does when we give Him what we have. He makes it a reflection of what He wants to, of what He has given the world and what He wants to do for the world. He makes it a reflection of what He wants to do. If you'll, listen, if you'll take today, I, I'm thinking about, you said, Bridget, do you have a Bible illustration? I think I do. If you go over to the books of Corinthians and you'll read what Paul is talking about and he's talking to the Macedonian believers and he tells them, he's talking to them about how they gave out of their necessity to the poor uh, believers that were in Jerusalem. He talks they didn't give out of their abundance. He, they gave out of their necessity. He tells them that God, you remember these verses, uh, for the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. You remember he said, he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But when he gets down to the end, he's been spending that whole chapter, I think it's chapter 9, maybe chapter 8, he spent that whole chapter talking about the giving of the Macedonians, how they gave their possession. And he gets down the end. You know what he does? I see him lay down his pen and lean back in his chair and he says this, and thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. All that giving reminded Him of the gift that God gave. And when you and I give, somebody will be reminded of the gift that God gave. Let's give God what He asked for. When you give Him what he asked for, what you have, he will make what you give him a reflection. And it doesn't have to be anything big. It just needs to be given to God what you have. I was reading J. Allen Blair and he's talking about crossing the ocean, the great ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, crossing it on an ocean liner, heading somewhere. And he said, I got up one day and went out on the deck to pray. And he said, as I went along the side of the ship, I looked out over into that vast ocean and he said the sun was shining. He said I could see the reflection of the sun in that vast ocean. He said when I finished my trip and came back to my home in West Virginia, he said I got up one morning, went out walking to pray and across past the little mountain spring. And he said I looked in that little mountain spring and there was that same great sun reflected in that little mountain spring. 
He said the next morning I got up a little earlier and the dew was still dripping off of the trees and on the grass. And he said, I looked and there off a leaf was a little dewdrop. And he said, lo and behold, in that little dewdrop, I saw that same great sun that I'd seen in the ocean. It doesn't have to be big, friend. I, I tell you, hallelujah, God can make whatever we give and make our lives, if we'll give our lives a reflection of what he did on Calvary. I'd like to get involved in that, wouldn't you? So there is. He'll make it a reflection, a revelation, if you will, a reflection. Then there, here's the second thing. What did God do with when God, when Abraham gave to God his only son, what he hoped for? What did he do? Well, here's what he did. Look what the scripture said. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. Now watch this. That in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now think about what God just said. God said to Abraham, take now thy son. Then he said, thine only son, thine only son Isaac, one boy. Yeah, so Abraham gave God the thing that he hoped for, the thing in where all of his, all of his tomorrows was laid. And he gave that boy to God. And you know what God did? God gave that one boy right back to Abraham. They went back down off that mountain together. He gave him right back, but along with giving him back, he multiplied all of Abraham's dreams, multiplied all of Abraham's hope. You know what God will do? If we'll give him our tomorrows, God will make our tomorrows more fruitful than we ever dreamed was possible. Give him your dreams. Give him your tomorrows. There were two boys lived in Ohio, grew up in Ohio, and uh, their parents couldn't get along and they got divorced. And uh, it was an unusual situation. Mama lived down on this end of the street with the two boys and Daddy lived on the other end of the street. And when the two boys, when one of them boys would do wrong, Mama would send them over to Daddy and he'd whip them and send them back. At least that part of the arrangement was worked out pretty good. Well, that older boy had all these dreams about what he's going to do. He got, he heard the gospel and he got saved. So when he got saved, he went to his principal and said, I'd like to start a Bible study in school. And uh, I'd like to just have a Bible study. The principal said, well, be all right. If you're going to run it, that'd be fine. So he started a Bible study. He got his little brother to come. And his little brother got saved. Other young folks got saved in the school. And then God called that older boy to preach. He surrendered to the call of God. He went off to Hiles Anderson College to study. Not long after that, God called that younger brother to preach. I preached for him just about every other year in Ohio. He called him to preach. And he went off, I think he was two years younger than his brother, he went off to Hiles Anderson College to study and study the ministry. And they kept working on their mom and dad. And mama got saved. And then daddy got saved. So when that younger brother graduated, they had a graduation service, a special and unique graduation service in a chapel on the grounds of Hiles Anderson College. You say, preacher, why did they have 
that unique service. Why did they do it in the chapel? Because those two boys were in attendance and mom and dad were in attendance. And when the younger boy graduated after the graduation ceremony, they had another ceremony. Mom and daddy got remarried in the chapel and put that family back together. Now you say, preacher, how did something like that happen? It happened because a young fella said, I'll give God all of my future. I'll give God all of my tomorrows. I'll give God all of it. Uh, can I tell you another story? I, I preached just recently. I preached for a young man. And I won't, I won't tell you all of this, but he never, his, his daddy left, uh, 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 they, they weren't, there, there was, there was a child, he was born out of wedlock, and the daddy said, I don't want the responsibility, he left, but that boy grew up without a daddy, but he got born again, he got saved, he gave his life to Jesus, he surrendered to the gospel ministry, he's pastoring a church, and one day he found out, about where his daddy was, wrote his daddy a letter, but he's afraid to send it. He never, never could send it, but his wife got a hold of it. She said they lost the letter. They were getting ready to move, and his wife said uh, to him one day, she said, I found that letter. And uh, he said, okay. She said, what do you want me to do with it? He said, whatever you want to do with it. I don't, I don't care. I'm afraid to send it. And so they took that letter. She wrote another whole page of that letter and sent it to his daddy. Next thing you know, his daddy called him. Now they're spending time together. He's with us, spending time with his son, spending time with his grandchildren. Now you say, preacher, how does all that kind of stuff work out? I don't know how it all works out, but I do know this. If you'll take your tomorrows and all your dreams and all your hopes and just give them to the Lord, the Lord can do more with your tomorrows than you can. He can make your hopes and dreams turn out better than you can. I'm telling you, you'll not be disappointed if you let God have your tomorrows. Well, here's the third thing. He said he wanted what he had. He wanted what he hoped for. And then let me give you this again. He wanted what had his heart. Now look what he said. Whom thou lovest. What did God do when Abraham gave him his heart? Now I want you to go back to verse 15 and I want you to notice that God's going to say something that He's never said before in the Scripture. In verse 15, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. Now watch it. Here it is. And he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. God has never said that before in the Bible. This is the first time. Now he'll say it again. And he'll be quoted saying it in the book of Hebrews. And here's what it'll say. God taking an oath. In Hebrews chapter number 6 it'll say this. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now listen to this verse, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now here's what the Scripture is telling us in Hebrews, that when God made this oath, it gave Abraham a strong consolation. And it gives us a strong consolation. But we need to understand that word consolation, because in our language today, 
Consolation usually means second place. You got the consolation prize. You didn't get first prize. But that's not what it means in the Scripture. The word consolation, if you get you a Strong's Concordance and look up the word consolation in the, in the Greek language, here's what it means. It means basically to draw near or to be drawn near. So here's what God is saying and the Hebrew writer saying. He's saying that Abraham got a closer glimpse of God than he had ever gotten before because he gave God what had his heart. Now listen to me, friend. You've got something got a hold of your heart this morning. You've got something that's grabbed your heart and it's, it's possessing your heart. And you say, I can't let go of that. And the problem is, what you're missing is a better revelation of God. If you'll give God what has your heart, God will give you a glimpse of what's in His heart. You're missing the revelation of God. You're missing the manifestation of God. You're missing what God has for you because you won't let go of whatever that is that has your heart. But if you'll let Him have it, if you bring it to Him, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, if you bring it to Him and say, Lord, I let go of this. I relinquish this. I leave it in Your hands. Then God, hallelujah, God will show you a side of Him that you've never seen before. You'll get a deeper, more precious revelation of who God is. If you'll get that thing out of the way. You know what I think I'll do? I think I'll give him what I have. I think I'll give him what I hope for. I think I'll give him whatever it is that has my heart. I heard this story years ago about a little boy. He was in pioneer days and he had a nickel. It took a long time to get a nickel in those days. He came into the mercantile, the general store. And he said to the owner, he plopped that nickel down on the counter. He said, what can a fella get for a nickel around here? That general store owner held up that jar of rock candy. He said, around here you get a handful for a nickel. He expected that boy to grab somebody, didn't he? He ran out the door. He came back in a little while pulling his daddy by the hand. He looked at that grocer and he said, handful for a nickel, right? The fella said, yes, sir. He said, daddy, reach in there and get us a handful. And then he said this, Daddy has bigger handfuls than I have. Can I tell you something, dear Christian? Your heavenly Father has bigger handfuls than you have. And if you'll give Him what you have, what you hope for, and whatever's in your heart, God will give back exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you this while our sister comes to the piano this morning. What is it that has your heart? What is it that's got a hold of you? What is it this morning? You say, preacher, I don't know if I could live without that. I don't know if I could get along without that. Can you get along without a better revelation of don't you let him have his way. I'm just telling you, I, I can't I can't say to you, I tell you what God has done in the lives of others. I can't tell you what he's going to do for you specifically, but I can tell you this in principle. 
that if you give him what you have, he'll make it a reflection of his love. If you give him what you hope for, he'll multiply it, multiplication. And if you give him what has your heart, he'll give you a new manifestation of him. He'll let you see him in ways you've never seen him before once you get that thing out of your world. Won't you let him have what he asked for? God, God gave Isaac back. He didn't really want Isaac. He wanted Abraham. He wanted to do something for Abraham. Won't you come find out what God would do for you if you just let him have it all? If you're not saved this morning, Jesus died in your place. He'll save you if you're called. Father, help us this morning. Help your people. Help somebody, Lord, bring it to the altar and leave it for you. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.